0: Uh, Thank you for for coming out tonight, we're resuming our study in the book of Jeremiah, and our text tonight will be Jeremiah chapter 15, so if you could open uh, your Bible there, that would be wonderful, and uh, we will be considering tonight, the trial of non-success. Okay, so let's uh, pray, and, uh, and then we'll begin working our way through the text. Father, we do thank you uh, for this night that you've given to us. Uh, Lord, we're grateful for your word, and we ask that you would help us as we study it. Please uh, remove all distractions know, help us to concentrate. We ask that you would enable us uh, to understand the text and be sensitive to what you have to teach us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, most of us have a set of criteria that we judge ourselves and we judge others uh, to see whether they have or we have been successful or not. You know we live in a time uh, when it feels just about everything can be measured and uh, the world of sport is one such example and uh, there are stats for just about everything these days and uh, that data uh, is often used to determine the success of a particular player. Uh, but even all this data doesn't always give an accurate representation of one's success and importance to a team because there's some things that cannot be measured. But we all adopt criteria that we use to assess our success or lack thereof in every area of life, whether it be our work, in our marriage, parenting, friendships, financially, in our spiritual life, and in our ministries. And it can be quite the trial when we don't measure up, when we don't experience the visible results that we believe are the marks of success. And this was something that Jeremiah experienced, he felt this pain acutely, it was a crushing burden for him. No doubt as a young man he had dreams and goals, he was hoping The Lord would use him to make a difference, that he would be used by the Lord as a tool to bring about sweeping reformation, and yet it didn't happen. And as he assessed his ministry with this criteria, he felt very underwhelmed. In his view, he hadn't been successful, and he endures what I've called the trial of non-success. And understand, this trial almost ended in Jeremiah being disqualified and removed from the prophetic ministry. Okay, In verse 19, if he didn't repent, the Lord was going to remove him from the office of prophet. And he got to this point because he failed to navigate well okay, the trial of perceived lack of success. And this was like a leech that grabbed hold of his life and wouldn't let go. And it sucked out all vitality, leaving him disappointed, discouraged, and depressed. And like it was for Jeremiah, I would suggest that the trial of non-success is one that we will be faced with in our lives. And hence, we need to consider carefully what the Lord teaches us through the example of Jeremiah. So I'd like to read uh, the whole chapter. And as we read, I want you to try and engage with the disappointment and discouragement of the prophet and see if you can identify potential causes of his state. Okay, so let's uh, read from verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 15, reading from verse 1. Now then said the Lord unto me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. And it shall come to pass if they say unto thee whither shall we go then thou shalt tell them thus saith the lord such as are for death to death and such as are for the sword to the sword and such as are for the famine to the famine and such as are for the captivity to the captivity and i will appoint over them four kinds, saith the lord the sword to slay and the dogs to tear and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy And I will cause them to be removed into all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. For who shall have pity upon thee, O Jerusalem? Or who shall bemoan thee? Or who shall go aside to ask how thou doest? Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord. Thou art gone backward. Therefore will I stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. And I will fan them with a fan in the gates of the land. And I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they return not from their ways. Their widows are increased to me above the sand of the seas. I have brought upon them against the mother of the young man a spoiler at noonday. I have caused him to fall upon it suddenly and terrors upon the city. She that hath borne seven languisheth. She hath given up the ghost. Her son is gone down while it was yet day. she hath been ashamed and confounded and the residue of them will i deliver to the sword before the enemy saith the lord woe is me my mother thou hast borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth i had neither lance on usury nor men have lent to me on usury yet every one of them doth curse me the lord said verily it shall be well with thy remnant Verily, I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. Shall I break the northern iron and the steel? Thy substance and thy treasures will I give to the spoil without price, and that for all thy sins, even in all thy borders. And I will make thee to pass with thine enemies into a land which thou knowest not, for a fire is kindled in mine anger, which shall burn upon you. O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me, And revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thine hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual? and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed. Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar, and as waters that fail? Therefore thus saith the Lord, If thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vile, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. And I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall, And they shall fight against thee, they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will return thee out of the hand of the terrible. Amen. Okay, this text uh, contains the third of Jeremiah's six confessions, where he expresses his complaints to the Lord. And these don't seem to be publicly pronounced, but are laments or prayers that are uttered in private. And within them, we get a glimpse into the inner struggles of this man of God. These texts are like a viewing platform that enables us to see the inner struggles and the turmoil that Jeremiah is enduring. And the particular struggle that brought on this third confession was a lack of success that he was experiencing in his ministry. And notice in verse 10, the extent of this struggle. Okay, This was real. This was a painful time. He's down in the pit of despair and he curses the day that, that he was born. Okay? Like Job, when he hit rock bottom, he thought it would have been better if he was never born. And this is where Jeremiah had arrived. It's a very dark place. And here's the thing, okay, this declaration also seems to at least imply a bitter renouncing of the call of God upon his life. Because in chapter 1 and verse 5, we're told that before the Lord formed Jeremiah in the womb, he ordained him as a prophet. Okay, so lamenting his birth seems to be equivalent to lamenting his ministry. He couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't keep going. It was all too much for him. And it was this trial of non-success that brought him to this point. That was the opponent that had him pinned down to the ground and he'd given up all hope of fighting back. He was tapping out. He wanted it to be over. And I'd suggest that Jeremiah is not the first and certainly not the last to arrive at this point because of a lack of success according to one's own criteria and I believe we too will be faced with this same trial at different stages in our life. So let's consider what we can learn from this text about the trial of non-success. There are two areas that plague Jeremiah. The first area is lack of success before God and this is revealed in the first nine verses. Okay, I'm sure you would agree with me that our prayer is a wonderful privilege. Okay, the fact that we have access to God, we have his ear, okay, that's astonishing. And yet prayer is also quite mysterious. And that sometimes it gets answered in the way that we asked. And these types of answers can sometimes happen immediately. Other times we have to wait longer periods of time. Then there are other prayers that are answered positively, but in a far different way than what we expected. But then there are other times when we pour our heart out and the Lord doesn't answer in an affirmative way. And this can be challenging. Have you ever found yourself discouraged or disappointed because your prayer wasn't answered? You didn't get the job. You didn't get into the course, or your loved one didn't get better, or a loved one didn't embrace the gospel. It's hard when our prayers don't get answered the way that we wanted. And this was a struggle that Jeremiah was wrestling with. Because in the previous chapter, Jeremiah had interceded for the people. It was a powerful prayer. It was a prayer of confession. He confessed the sins of the nation. In verse 20, he pleaded for God's mercy. In verses 21 and 22, he, he based the prayer on God's glory, on God's name. He didn't want the name of the Lord to be dishonored. Okay, he acknowledged that only God could answer this prayer. So that this is a wonderful prayer. It's heartfelt, pure motives. Okay, we assume that God would answer, but he doesn't. Humanly speaking, this Jeremiah's intercessory prayer, it was, it was a failure, because what was God's response? Well, that's in chapter 15. He reassures the prophet that judgment was inevitable, and that was not the answer that Jeremiah wanted, okay? And the Lord's answer to Jeremiah's prayer, it's unpacked from verses 2 to 9, and this forms the main section of this chapter, and it's very depressing, in both verses 2 and 3, four things are revealed, and they paint a very gruesome picture. Okay, verse 2, it's all about death. Okay, lots of people will die by the sword in battle. Others will perish through famine, and those who survive will go into captivity. So the point being, many are going to die. Then there's four things revealed in verse 3, and these all speak of desecration of dead bodies. And this was a huge disgrace. For the Jews, Okay, mentions dogs, fowls, beasts, and they're gorging on the bodies. And this is mentioned in Jeremiah 19, 7 and 34, verse 20. And the phrase used there is, and their carcasses or their dead bodies will I give to be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. Okay, so that's not a very nice thought, okay, that the animals are treating the bodies like a smorgasbord. And it's as though all of creation had gathered to judge Judah. Now in verse 4, one of the most wicked kings is mentioned, it's Manasseh. And he's identified as one of the causes of this horrific judgment. Now one writer described Manasseh's reign like so, and this quote's in your outline. It says, Manasseh was the kind of political leader who sought prosperity at the cost of integrity. He kept Judah at peace for most of the first half of the 7th century BC by faithfully licking the boots of his Assyrian overlord. He bought security and peace at a price, the price of encouraging the worship of many gods, including Assyrian gods in Jerusalem. Kaminas' reign is recorded in 2 Kings 21 and 2 Chronicles 33, and both of these chapters are graphic accounts of idolatrous, debauchery, including sacrificing his own children, he practiced witchcraft, and the Bible says that he's actually more wicked than the Canaanite kings, he's worse than the heathens, and he led the people of Judah down this pathway, but the sad part is that they followed him. So this judgment is not just for the sins of Manasseh personally, so this is not the future generation paying for the sins of the prior generation. Okay, for the Bible stresses individual responsibility. And Judah as a nation had followed the path of Manasseh and they never departed from that path even when Manasseh repented and hence judgment was certain. Okay, verses five to nine continue the theme of judgment and it does so by employing varying analogies, imagery, and poetic devices. Okay, verse 5 poses three rhetorical questions and the sense of these questions is, okay Judah, nobody's going to care for you, nobody's going to come running and save you, nobody will have any sympathy, no one will be interested, no one will care, everyone will ignore your situation. And what's ironic, and this is picked up in verse 6, there was one who cared there was one who was sympathetic, and that was the Lord, but they rejected him. Okay, they, they forsook the one who would have had pity on them. So th- there's the irony. But in light of their rejection, judgment was sure. Okay, the Lord had had enough of relenting. He'd been very patient, but now the judgment was certain. And it would be very brutal. Okay, The imagery employed next confirms that in verse 7 it speaks of a fan okay and that's referencing the process of sorting grain okay the grain would be chucked up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away and the idea is that Judah were going to be blown away into captivity now verse 8 contains an ironic reversal of a promise given to Abraham and I believe this is also in the outline sheet Genesis 22 verse 17 Okay, says that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. Again, okay, the next phrase, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Okay, And the image of sand of the sea, okay, that was used as a blessing of Abraham, but in our text it's not used positively because it says the widows will increase in this way, meaning much death and there's a devastating image in verse 9 it mentions the mother of seven sons and this was viewed as the ultimate blessing okay, in jewish culture okay this was the happy ideal and yet that would be taken away again the mom she die of a broken heart absolutely shattered she would lose all seven sons okay this is what would engulf judah now the theological point made from this text can we and we shouldn't miss this is that death is the payment for sin okay physical and spiritual death is the deserved punishment for sin and this is illustrated very graphically in this account and it's a universal truth that the proper punishment for sin is eternal death okay that's the message of the bible and that's why jesus had to die because that's the deserved penalty sin. But this establishes that God's judgment on Judah, it was not unfair, wasn't harsh, it was just and righteous, for all sin deserves death. But getting back to the theme of our study, this was not the answer that Jeremiah was hoping to receive after he poured his heart out in intercession. No doubt he felt like a failure, and I could imagine the internal struggle. So, phew, good on you, Jeremiah. What kind of prophet are you? God won't even answer your prayers. You're a failure. You know, what have I done for God not to answer? And then the doubts and the discouragements that, that they brew up inside like a massive storm. And this is evident from verse one. Okay, I believe this is actually the Lord trying to encourage Jeremiah because he assures the prophet that Jeremiah, it wouldn't matter who prayed. Okay, it could be Moses or Samuel. Okay, both of these men were famous for interceding for Israel in the past and God relented on unleashing judgment. And hence it's as though the Lord said, you know, Jeremiah, it's not you. Okay, it wouldn't matter who interceded. We we could go back and get one of the great intercessors from Israel's history. It, It won't work. So this is God's tender and compassionate grace to the deflated prophets. But it's clear this was not received. And at this point, Jeremiah is faced with his non-success. He was unable to intercede for the people. God didn't answer his prayer. And this teaches us something very important about prayer. Sometimes even the best prayers with pure motives prayed by godly people, may not receive an affirmative answer from God. God may not always answer in the way that we want or the way that we expect. And sometimes that can be really hard. Now there are many possible explanations as to why God doesn't answer a prayer in the affirmative. It could be, the sin in the heart of the one praying. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It could be the sin in the life of the ones you are praying for. That was the case for Jeremiah. It could be that God has something better and grander in store. It could be that in His grace, He's sparing you from some greater suffering by, by saying no. It could be that God has some other plan or purpose. It could be a sanctifying agent in your life. Or the Lord intends to glorify himself in ways that go beyond or against our particular prayer. Okay, but whatever the reason, God may not always answer our prayers in the affirmative. Okay, but this doesn't mean we've always failed. Okay? It isn't always our fault. Sometimes God just has very different plans. Okay, but this is often a struggle for us, just like it was for Jeremiah. Okay, and this is the first area of non-success. It was his praying to the Lord. his second area of non-success is before men. And this is recorded from verse 10 down to verse 19. Now, this second portion of the chapter contains Jeremiah's third confession that I mentioned earlier. And it's actually a dialogue between the prophet and the Lord. Okay, Jeremiah is speaking in verse 10. Then the Lord speaks from verse 11 to 14. Jeremiah speaks from verse 15 to 18. And then the Lord speaks from verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Okay, and what we have here is Jeremiah is a broken man. He's been battered and bruised in the pit of despair and disappointment. He wishes that he hasn't been born. He wished he wasn't a prophet. And a leading contributor to, to this breakdown. Was that he was unsuccessful when it came to ministering to his people? Okay, in verse ten, he's pouring his heart out to the Lord, and he can't fathom as to why he is despised by his fellow men. Everyone was cursing him; nobody liked him. Okay, that they're not responding to his ministry, and he makes the points in verse eleven that he hasn't borrowed money or he hasn't lent money. So so what's he getting at here? Well, well, the idea is this particular practice would often lead to contention. But but he wasn't behind in making payments, nor was he an extortionist. Those particular practices would make one unpopular. And Jeremiah is saying, you know, I'm not like that. And yet I'm being cursed. I'm being mistreated by everybody. And this is causing him great anguish. I picture you know tears pouring down his face as he reveals his agony. Can he was talking with the Lord? Lord, I love these people and yet they despise me. They've treated me so horribly. My ministry has not been successful. They've rejected me, that they've rejected the message. And Jeremiah continues this theme in verse fifteen. But before that the Lord speaks in verses eleven to fourteen. And this divine speech includes a promise to those, okay, those who mistreated Jeremiah would one day plead with him, one day they'd want his help, and this is fulfilled later in the book of Jeremiah, okay, chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, chapter 38, 14 to 27, and chapters 42, 2 to 3. And the Lord also promises that Jeremiah would be spared from the judgment, and we know that the Babylonian king actually gave special instructions that Jeremiah, okay, don't harm him, okay, look after him. Jeremiah 39, 11, and 12 is that particular fulfillment. Okay, but these words from the Lord, it didn't help the prophet because he continues his powerful outburst in verse 15. Okay, he asked the Lord to avenge him, and he stresses the point that he has suffered because of his stand for the Lord. Okay, he was rebuked for God's sake. It's nearly as though he's pointing the finger at God. It's because of you that, that I am in this situation. And then we get to, to verse 16, and this begins to, to really reveal the heart of Jeremiah. Okay, he says, you know, I, I have loved your word. Okay, when it was found, this is probably talking about during the reign of Josiah, when the scroll was found, and he says he ate the words, so he consumed the words. we told in verse sixteen that he found joy and delight in the words. Okay, there's a point of application for us that okay, time in the Bible, studying the Bible, it's not just an academic thing. It's not a chore, a tick the box exercise, but something that should bring us joy. Okay, something that we love, something that we delight in. Okay, this is true of. Jeremiah, he was like the baby desiring the sincere milk of the word. And this is a wonderful example. Okay, and this hunger for the word that Jeremiah possessed and the time that he spent in it. Okay, this was the secret to his outward faithfulness. Okay, His inward love for the word resulted in outward faithfulness. And his faithfulness is proven in the next Verse verse 17, he says that he separated himself from certain people and certain practices. He didn't rejoice with the mockers. He was by himself because he couldn't join in. This resulted in him being ostracized. This was the cost of his faithfulness. And my friend, understand that following Jesus will come at a cost. Jeremiah's example illustrates this. It shows us that there are certain people, there are certain practices that we should be separated from as Christians. We're called to be holy. A separation is not a word that is spoken of too much these days, but it's part of the gospel. We are to be different. We are to be holy. We are to abstain from certain practices no matter the cost. This is what it means to be a Christian. Now, in verse 17, it seems that Jeremiah probably had Psalm 1 in mind. Okay, do you remember the blessed man? Okay, the blessed man didn't assemble with the mockers, but he delighted in the law of God. This describes okay, Jeremiah right here. And if you, you flip over to chapter 17 and verse 8, okay, Jeremiah says, "...for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river." And she shall not see okay, when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, shall not be in the careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Again, that's very similar to Psalm chapter 1. Okay, and this is Jeremiah's point. Okay, Lord, I'm familiar with Psalm chapter 1. Okay, it says, if I do these things, I will be blessed. And as Jeremiah's asking, Lord, why am I not blessed? Okay, I've walked this path. And i'm not successful my ministry hasn't been blessed they don't listen to me okay i've obeyed and yet i haven't been successful okay here is the trial of non-success okay and jeremiah he he actually failed miserably because notice the arrow of accusation that he fired at the lord in verse 18 he accuses god of lying and of being waters that fail now that's quite the accusation it's very harsh. It's very untrue. Okay, but he felt like the Lord had failed in His promise to strengthen him against his enemies, and he accused him of being a stream that went dry. Okay, that the imagery is there was a lot of valleys that would fill up when it rained, and a traveller would head to water. But if it hadn't rained, it would be dry. They'd be disappointed. That's what he's accusing the Lord of. And what's very interesting. Is that previously, chapter 2, he referred to the Lord as a fountain of living waters? Okay, but now in his despair, he believed things about God that weren't true. Okay, in his trial of non success, he forgot who God was, and he believed things that weren't true about God. Okay, and they are two traps that we can fall into when we go through challenging times. We forget who God is, or or we believe things that aren't true about God. Okay, in this particular outburst, it almost cost Jeremiah dearly. Now, now we don't know if Jeremiah immediately regretted it. Have you ever had one of those moments where you say something straight away, think, oh no, I shouldn't have said that. And you're trying to catch those words before the person can hear them, but you can never get them back. That could be the case. But the Lord's very direct with Jeremiah. Okay, in verse 19, the Lord demands that he repents. Okay, Jeremiah, you need to repent. And if he repents, he can continue to be the prophet. But he would be removed from the office if he did not repent. And isn't it ironic that Jeremiah, the one who would preach, repent, repent, repent for years. Okay, now the Lord's challenging him. You need to repent. Okay, Thankfully, he did and he was restored. And the Lord in his grace reassures him of his call. This is what we have recorded in verses 20 and 21. And this is very similar to when he was called to the ministry initially in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. So here the Lord reestablishes his promises to the prophet. Okay, but Jeremiah at this point, you know, he really messed up. And this came about because of his perceived failure. He believed he was not successful. He felt his ministry was vain. He failed the trial of non-success. Okay, and we too will face this same trial in our lives where we feel like we're failed, where we believe we've been unsuccessful, okay, where we have not met our own preconceived criteria. Okay, this can happen in every area of our life, whether in our marriage, parenting, career, financial, and certainly in ministry and the spiritual realm. So what can we learn to help ourselves and to help others through this trial of non-success when when we're crippled by a strong sense of failure and underachievement, whether real or imagined? Well, number one, I've got three points I want to finish with. Number one, difficulties and hardships don't mean one is unsuccessful and is failing. Okay, there's a human tendency that equates success with ease. Okay, a problem-free existence is the mark of success. But that's not the Bible. Okay, and understand, we can be very faithful in serving God, but that doesn't mean we are immune from hardship and we won't face rejection from others. Okay, we can be a godly spouse or a godly parent and yet be rejected by one spouse or child. We can be a faithful employee and yet suffer much at work. We can live our lives for the Lord, faithfully serve Him, and yet face great trials and troubles. So we need to f- forsake the false thinking that living for the Lord, okay, is my pass to an easy life, okay, it's not true. And the false idea that, that if things are challenging, Okay, if things are not working out, that, that is clear evidence that I'm failing, that I'm not successful, that I'm doing something wrong. Okay, now, now, trouble can be a sign of sin. It can be a sign of failure. That's true, but it's not always the case. And hence, to not fail the trial of non-success and end up in, in the pit of despair like Jeremiah, it's important that we understand that difficulties and hardships okay trials and troubles don't prove beyond a doubt that we've failed and we're unsuccessful okay because we can live for the Lord we can be successful in his sight and yet endure great trials turmoil and trouble just ask Jeremiah just go and read a book of church history okay that they all okay suffered greatly number two God's criteria of assessing success is often very different to ours. What God wants from you and what God wants from me is faithfulness. Okay, that's his criteria of success. Results may or may not come. Visible evidence may or may not be present, but God is looking for faithfulness. Okay, and when we stand before him, this is what we will be judged on and rewarded accordingly. Okay, and we need to remember this. Ministry success is often based on numbers. Parenting success is on how your children turned out. What university did they get into? Job success is based on salary number and so forth. And these things are not always wrong. Okay, but we can be a successful parent in God's sight. We we were faithful, but our kids may not turn out that well. We may serve the Lord faithfully, but but the numbers never really change. They may even decrease. We may serve the Lord faithfully at work and still get fired. But what God is looking for is faithfulness in every area of life. That's the measure of success. Okay, remember the words, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the criteria, faithfulness. And this is proven ultimately by Jesus. Think about it. He did not have a mass following considering he's God. He didn't make money. So much of our criteria that we use to assess success, Jesus would have failed. But he was perfectly successful because he was perfectly faithful. He did the will of the Father in every situation without exception. And thankfully, he was perfectly faithful for us because we are so often unfaithful. But what this tells us is that God wants faithfulness. He wants us to be faithful in every area of life, and that is his criteria of success. So when we're battling with the trial of non-success, we're not measuring up to what we think we need to remember what God requires. God wants you and he wants me to be faithful. Number three, there's forgiveness for failure and lack of success. Okay, there will be times in life when, when we actually do fail. We haven't spent too much time talking about this, but at times when we feel like we've failed, when we feel like we've been unsuccessful, it's because it's true. Okay? We, we need a category for that. We haven't measured up to God's standard of faithfulness. There will be times like that in our life. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, he was perfectly faithful on our behalf. Not once did he fail, not once was he unfaithful. And because of him, our salvation does not depend on our faithfulness, but on his. Because of him, we can experience forgiveness when we do fail. When our lack of success is. Is legitimate. We can come to him. We can repent, ask for forgiveness, and for his help to be successful moving forward. And you know, maybe tonight it's clear to you, okay, as you examine your own life, that there's a few areas where you're not being successful according to God's criteria. You're not being faithful, okay? Well, if that's you, okay, repent. You will be forgiven. Okay, God will give you another chance, just like he did with Jeremiah, and with his help. Which he will give you, okay, move forward and be faithful in every area of life because that is God's criteria of success. Okay, and as a Christian, when we come before him, may we hear those words, okay, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for, for the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, as Paul tells us, whatsoever things were in the foretime were written for our learning. And so, you know, may, may we learn um, from this uh, example of Jeremiah. Father, help us to, to be faithful in all things, great and small. As we go our separate ways, please you know, keep us safe uh, as we travel home until we meet again. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake.